Well, um, I'd like you now to um, try to imagine, because I tried to do this this week, and it was, I can't even imagine it. I'd like you to imagine that um, life without the scriptures, like period. You've never read the Bible. No one you know has ever read the Bible. People you know might believe in God, but there's no Bible. And I want you to imagine the kind of things that you would not know. And this is also going to be a sharing time. So what kind of things would you not know if the Bible did not exist? Yeah. If it had never existed. I mean, let's say, let's say that it just wasn't kept for us. We just, it just was lost. You know, Jesus came. He did all the things that we've read about. But there was no Bible to, for us to read today to know that any of that happened. Unless someone had told you who had heard from, who had heard from. Years later. Right. Yeah. So the history of Israel. Anybody else? What would you not know if there was not a Bible? Sure. Absolutely. How would we have a moral compass in a lot of ways without the Bible telling us, you know, what's appropriate and what's not? So my guess is we would just be left with superstition. Yeah. We, we would, there would be, like, people who had God thoughts, mm-hmm. but we would, it would be random. Like, it would be regional. Like, mm-hmm. there would be, like, Taylor County God thoughts, and we'd go to the Greensburg, and it would be totally different. Right. Right. Yeah. That was actually... Something I started to think about, you know, if you ever want to know what life is like without the scriptures, all you have to do is step one minute into a predominantly Buddhist culture, and you just see that people spend a lot of their days going to temples or shrines or, you know, lighting candles to things that they don't, they're not even sure what the history is behind it. I mean, that's just one example, but yeah, it's superstition. It's run amok, you know. Um, I thought of a few things, too. Um, You know, there's a lot of people from the scripture, we just would not know who they were. Like, who would know about Noah and the ark? How would we know? Um, You know, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, how would we know? Moses, the stories of Moses. I had, you know, John the Baptist. We might hear about Jesus, but we we wouldn't know about him or what his message was. That's just what I'm guessing. Or Peter or Paul or these, I just think about the people in scripture we wouldn't know. Um, you know, we also wouldn't know the kind of things that Jesus did, you know, the kind of miracles he performed, and also the things he taught, the things that keep our churches kind of in control. We wouldn't know any of those things. The Bible's a really big deal. And, um, and people, anybody you respect in ministry ha- should have and probably does have a secret history with the Bible and has a long history of knowing Scripture, internalizing Scripture, and living out of that. Um, and it's, it's a really big deal. Um, we're going to look at three treasures of the scripture. And these are just three things, um, just off the top of my head, really. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But um, we're going to talk about three treasures of the scripture. And the first one is, is that scripture shows us the possibilities of life with God. 
So um, we were talking about, you know, it might just be like superstition that we would hold on to. We wouldn't know exactly what heights we could attain with God. I mean, he definitely speaks, and I don't want to undervalue that at all. Um, He speaks to us. Um, You know, we get counsel from him. We hear from him. But it's, it's just not the same as the scripture. The scripture is... It, it's just so precious, and, and it shows us what's possible. Um, you know, have you ever read a scripture that you read and you think, wow, like how could that possibly be true? Anybody have one? We'll make this interactive too. Anybody have one, you read it, and you just cannot believe it happened? What's that? Axe head floating? Okay. Peter walked on water. This is true, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think the thing that the Lord wants to highlight here and that I just want to highlight is that um, all these things that we read in Scripture, the axe head floating or Peter walking on water, these aren't just stories that we read about, about really cool people who lived back in the day and led really cool Christian lives. Um, But in fact, they're actually invitations to step into that same realm with God. These people um, in Scripture, and I specifically want to look at people, but um, these people have paved ways in, in, with God that we can come behind and join in and, and just receive what they did and, and take the ground that they took or walk in the ground that they took. Um, when I read about Lazarus rising from the dead, let's start there. Lazarus rose from the dead. He was completely dead. Jesus came, spoke a word, and he came to life. Um, it's not just a story about Jesus' friend Lazarus who came back to life, and his crying sisters. Instead, it's, it's actually a reality that dead people coming back to life is possible. It shows the possibility of God. All right, let's look at another one. Abraham and Sarah were old and barren. Their bodies were as good as dead, right? And what message is that really saying? It's not just that two people lived at one time and God cared about them, but that it's actually that barren women with no hope actually have hope because God cares about infertile couples, and he cares enough to bless them with children. Paul was a total God-hater. He killed Christians. Um, he made it his life, life's work to ru- try to ruin the church. Um, and from that, he was, he was transformed in a moment when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. His life was completely changed. And that's not just a story about an apostle. It's actually also a story that the most spiritually dead family members that we have, the most spiritually dead people we work with, they have the possibility to meet God in one moment and change completely. It's an invitation to believe it and walk in it. Um, The woman with the issue of blood, she lived with sickness for a very long time. And still, after years and years and years, she still had hope that with one touch, she believed she could be healed, and she was healed. Um, her life was a testimony that healing is literally at arm's length and that it's possible that you can live with a sickness for a long time. It can be something that has defined your life for a long time, but that God can still change it even after years and years of living with something that's normal. Moses led his own people out of slavery and delivered them into freedom. Moses. Man, it's one of the most iconic stories in in the Bible, and it's not just material for a good movie. It's actually a testimony that one person can change an entire nation's destiny in just one period of time. David was a humble shepherd boy. He was the youngest. 
He was no account. He watched sheep. And he was anointed king, which isn't just history. It's actually a testimony that God can choose anybody at any time in the most humble of circumstances from anywhere, and he can make them rise up to the greatest position to lead people or to do something that's bigger than they ever dreamed of doing. That's for you and me too. Um, Peter walked on water. You know, Sarah mentioned that, and it wasn't magic. It wasn't, it wasn't any of that. It was because he believed by faith that he could walk out on the water. And as bizarre and hard to believe, that, that's a hard one for me because I've tried it, you know, it hasn't worked yet for me. But I still believe that next time I walk out of Richard's boat, I'm going to walk on the water. I just know it one of these days. I believe it. You know, if Peter can do it, he was a doubter. He left Jesus and, you know, um, not in the end, but close to the end. And, um, and he, he believed it. He did it. And so can we. And then we have Jesus, our older brother. And he was completely sinless. He, he never sinned once in his life. And he paved the way for us because he was led by the Holy Spirit. He submitted himself to God and he led a sinless life. And he shows that it's possible that by submitting ourselves to God, we can be perfect, just like our Heavenly Father is perfect. It's something to strive for, not just in a little way, but it's something that Jesus led the way for and has actually imparted to us. And that we can go after. We can actually not sin. I mean, it's possible to go after that. So, you know, we're, we're all invited to dream of these possibilities in our day and time. And they come from the hope of the scripture. You know, if we didn't know any of these stories, how would we know any of the, those things are possible? You know, then there's a bunch more. And I, I, I love this passage. It's in Hebrews eleven thirty two through 40. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. These faithful ones from the Old Testament show us that life with God is possible in a very extreme way. It's totally possible, and that God actually invites us to join with them and actually exceed where they went. And it comes from reading the scripture. Um, The second treasure of the scripture that I've been meditating on is that scripture shows us that we're not alone in our pain. Um, A lot of times the enemy wants to come and say that we're alone, that we suffer alone, that we might know somebody who has dealt with it, but not to the degree that I've dealt with it kind of thing. Anybody identify there? (laughs) Um, 
But even if you're completely alone, even if you don't even have like one Facebook friend, you know, there's a friend in the scripture. There really is, you know, and, and I'm going to give a few examples here, but um, have you ever been red, caught red-handed in sin? I have. In high school, I broke into a teacher's um, filing cabinet to see if I was on honor society. It was not my proudest moment. I was caught red-handed and not allowed in honor society. So, <laughs> you know, I was. But guess who else was? I, I, and I really just didn't have a friend at that moment. But guess who else was caught red-handed? Adam and Eve. They were caught red-handed like in the worst way possible. They know what it's like to lose absolutely everything because you made a mistake. And not just made a mistake, but sinned against the Lord. They know exactly what it's like. But their, their life's testimony is that God still covered them, God still blessed them, and we're here today because of them. <clears throat> um, the, second, the second area of pain that some people experience um, is just a loveless marriage. There's a lot of people who, who live in that, um, just live in that reality. And, um, you know, who lived in more loveless marriage than Hosea, you know? He's your guy. He was married to a prostitute who had kids by, um, yeah, she, Gomer had kids by other lovers, you know, and he showed that God was still faithful. He stayed faithful to a woman who would not have him. You know, have you suffered unspeakable tragedy? Job has has been there. He lost his wife, his kids. He lost everything, his house, his land. And um, in the midst of it all, he still said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He shows how we approach unspeakable tragedy, and he's a friend to those people who have undergone that and, and gone through that. You know, do you suffer, suffer with a terminal illness or injury? I like these guys. The two blind beggars outside of Jericho who sat by the road and yelled, Son of David, have mercy on us. You know, God healed them because they called out. And again, you know, they're a friend to those who suffer long term and feel no hope. And they're also a testimony that Jesus will stop for you if you call out to him? Have you destroyed your reputation because of your passion for God? Well, you're in really good company there. You have Jesus and the 12 disciples. And, uh, you know, just countless people have suffered for the Lord. But um, I just thought of one story that really cracks me up. Jesus gives, has crowds following him, and he gives this famous um, drink my blood speech, you know? That's what I call it. He says, you, you have to drink my blood. And everybody leaves him. And I just, I just pictured what it would be like to be a disciple at that moment. Like, you know, everyone leaving is upset, doesn't understand it, and says, I'm not drinking his blood. And then they have to be thinking, those disciples are willing to say they will do that, you know? That's just, it just sounds bizarre, you know? And Jesus was rejected. He's just so familiar with rejection, and he's somebody that, you know, he just knows it in every way. But these 12, they still stuck with him. They showed that even when everybody leaves you, and when it costs you your life, that um, he's still worth it. We have friends in the scripture. Um, and the third point, the third treasure of scripture is that scripture points to our true identity. And so what do I mean by this? What I mean is, from the time that we're born, we, uh, people from every side are trying to shape us and trying to tell us who we are. 
right? Have you ever, like, gone to see a brand new baby and the grandma is already saying, like, what sport the baby's going to play? Or, uh, you know, this is going to be a cheerleader, you know? Or, you know, um, I, this one always drives me crazy. Like, there's, like, a little three-year-old child and somebody will say, oh, he's such a flirt, you know? I, I, I know, it drives me crazy, too. It drives me crazy. It's like... You know, how can you tell a three-year-old child that's who they are? But everybody, you know, we're always being impressed on the outside about who it is. You know, our parents, they're well-meaning. You know, your parents tried, everybody. That's all I have to say about that. But, but your parents tried, and, you know, even if they were um, the meanest parents, they still tried. And, um, and, but, you know, our parents have spoken words over us that were probably life-giving in some ways, but some words that were not life-giving. Or just flip it, you know? Like, sometimes there's words, you know, oh, he's my stubborn child. And we grow up with this identity that, okay, um, I'm the stubborn child. That's who I am. I'm stubborn. You know, or I'm, you know, my teachers tell me that um, I'm not good at math. You know, and so you can have somebody who's 65 years old, and you mention the word math, and the first thing they say is, I'm no good at math right? 65 years old, and this is something that was spoken to him really young. Identity is formed all the time, you know, or we have friends in high school. They're so cruel, you know. We were those cruel people too, and, you know, you pick out one bad trait about somebody, and that becomes their nickname and their whole identity, right? Anybody have a worse nickname than me in high school? I was Big Bird. It's true. It's true, but, you know, it's like identity is shaped on us from teachers, from friends, from our parents, from our siblings, even from pastors, you know, um, being passed over by a pastor, spoken something mean by a pastor, or even abuse from a pastor can shape identity. Um, yeah, we can't say that those things don't affect us. You might say, well, that's just how my dad is or whatever. But sometimes we carry a wound for a really long time because um, of something somebody said flippantly or even intentionally. But the primary way we overcome insecurity and discover who we really are is by letting the truth of the scripture wash over us. We can't find our identity in somebody else. You know, I'm, I'm like the biggest fan of community that there is. I think you should live life with people, but people can only go so far. You, um, the scripture fills the void that nothing else can fill. You know, God will speak directly to you, but there are some things that are just true about everybody that's in the scripture, and that's true about you too. And it's the primary way we know about what God's opinion is in our life. And so, you know, if you struggle really hard with self-worth issues or identity, the scripture is the first place you want to go. Jesus found his identity by reading scripture. You know, he grew up reading scripture. It wasn't by magic that he automatically got the download, like, on his iPhone. He didn't, that didn't happen with him. He, he had to learn it by reading it. Now, there were all kinds of prophetic words spoken over him. I'm sure his parents did their best to instill what they had heard about him growing up. Um, But he also read the scripture, and I just think about how, you know, boy Jesus reading along and coming along to passage— passages, the Holy Spirit would highlight something and say, that's you. And Jesus is a model that, um, you know, our identity can be shaped by what we read and believe rather than what we hear from the outside or even what we think on the inside. Um, I had one of those life-defining moments. We talked about life-defining scripture in the beginning. 
Um, when I was 19 years old, I uh, worked at a camp, and um, I, there were all these new campers who had just come in, and there was this girl who was about 16 years old, and she was in the foster system, and um, she just started opening up to me, I think I was her counselor, about um, the life of abuse that she had suffered. And I just checked back in my journal today because I wanted to just see what I had written that night about it. But um, it's, I, we spent two hours together, and she talked about all the abuse she suffered. She talked about how nobody loved her. She didn't know where her mom and dad were. And um, I was 19 and completely helpless in every way to help her. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I had nothing, absolutely nothing to offer her. And um, I walked home, and I'll never forget, it was about a two-minute walk home, but it was the longest walk of my life, and I just cried, and, and I just didn't know what to do. And I went to my Bible because I just needed something to make me feel better, and I opened to Isaiah 61. And um, it was a formational passage for me, and I'll read it to you. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And that night I had none of those qualities in me inherently. I mean, the Lord had put it in seed form, but I had none of those things as fruit in my life, and I had nothing to offer this girl. But this passage shaped my identity to where I now do these things. I'm, I'm you know, in contact with brokenhearted, poor people in total darkness and actually now have the keys to give them to say how they can be free and how they can walk in the light. How, and I actually have beauty to give people. And I didn't back then. At 19, I had nothing to give her. I was totally helpless. And, and the Lord in that moment spoke identity and said, and said, I will start to give you beauty that you can give to people who are in ashes. And um, it's what the scripture does. It's, it's so solid, and it's, it's formational for us. If we're not in the scriptures, it's, we're just losing out on a huge part of who we can be and who we really are. And um, by delaying going to the scripture for our identity, we're delaying our lives in a lot of ways. We're delaying who he wants us to be. Scripture is a treasure. And the last thing I want to end with is... Um, just that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us to the treasure of the scripture. The Bible's not just a list of great instructions on how to live. Um, okay, and so I'm going to give you my whimsical list of things that scripture is not, because I have a few opinions, so don't take this too seriously, but um, these are my four things that scripture are not. Number one, it's not a list of instructions on how to be a nice guy. It's way more than that. You know, a.k.a. follow these simple rules and everybody will like you, you know. It's also not, number two, a recipe book for ministry, you know. Mix one deaf guy, one part holy spit, and two parts mud and you'll have a healing, okay. We don't go to find, like, directions on how to heal, pe- heal people. 
Um, Number three, it's not a collection of stories about how amazing Christians used to be. You know, you can't live up to any of it, but weren't they cool? Okay, it's not any of that. It's attainable. Um, Also, fourthly, it's not a secret code that we'll finally figure out when we know enough. The scripture is accessible to everybody. You know, the more you're like a child, the more you're actually going to receive from it. Um, It's alive. Most of us approach scripture like we approach an episode of Lost in my opinion, struggling the whole time to figure out how it all connects and convinced that we'll never get answers to our burning questions. I'm not bitter, but... (laughs) 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 But yeah, that most of us approach the scripture that way, you know? Like, yeah, this situation right now surely cannot have an answer that was written 3,000 years ago. Surely can't, you know? But um, the truth is, is that scripture does, it's so alive and it's so active, like Adam was talking about last week, that the Holy Spirit is our guide and he leads us through the places that he wants us to go. And scripture is a door to encountering the Lord's presence. It's not just, the burden is not just on our minds to understand and comprehend scripture. I, I, I felt that for so many years, like, okay, I just need to understand this, or I just need to understand well, let me check the reference that goes back and see how it's all connected. It's actually, is very crippling to think that I, it is under my power to understand the hundreds of pages that are holy scripture that are actually alive because they're not dead. I, I do well enough to understand like Ikea instructions, okay? And those are four pages long. I can, I, it's like, how can my mind, that, that's where the burden is. It's not there, actually. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. So, um... Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. And um, I've been meditating on this passage for probably six or eight months. And it's so rich and so good. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit's been given to us to know the deep things of God. When we simply approach Scripture with our human mindset and our human wisdom, we're reducing something that's alive to be something that's dead. It's something that we can figure out when we put all the puzzle pieces together. But actually, how the Lord designed it to be is that when I come to read the Word, that I just say, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you show me what you mean? 
I don't have understanding in this, and I need you to open up the scripture to me. And the promise is, is that we have the mind of Christ. The promise is, is that, um, you know, we don't have all the experience with God that Jesus did. But we have the, the hardwiring, almost, to receive things from the Lord, and to learn things from the Lord, and to understand things from the Lord. Secondly, in verse 12, it says, um, you know, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's, it's not just enough to read scripture and understand truths about scripture, but it has to take the next step, and it has to take the next step into our personal lives to where we start to understand that what we're reading is for us. And that God's really free with it. He wants to give it to us. And everything we read and every person that we read about in Scripture, it's for us as well. It's been freely given to us. So we're just going to invite the Lord right now um, to just give us a hunger for the Word and ask Him to start to enliven scripture for us even more than we're than we're already there so lord we just thank you for the gift of scripture lord thank you that we're not left to our own superstition or fleeting thoughts lord and we just receive that gift and we ask you to fill us with your holy spirit to make us people who don't rely on human wisdom, and to make us people who can see the life that's available in the scripture. And we love you, Lord. Amen. Well, if you need prayer for anything, um, there'll be a few people up here if you want prayer for whatever. But um, if not, you know, drive safe.